Well, today is the last Sunday that we're going to be looking into the Psalms at the themes and the ideas in the book of Psalms that are over and over repeated throughout the book. This last summer, this summer, um, it's this last summer, it's kind of over, right? Um, I was blessed by having a two-month sabbatical. In that two-month sabbatical, I just parked in the Psalms. That's the only place I went. I spent two months in the Psalms and came out of it saying, man, there's all kinds of things that are repeated over and over and over again. And so I just felt compelled to, to talk about those things, to preach about those things that are, that are often repeated. And so this is the last Sunday that we're going to go through and look at the things in the book of Psalms. And as we've been going through the Psalms, we've been doing something. We've been filling in the blank every week. Every week it's been something that God is as, re- as revealed through the Psalms. So we looked at so far, God is worthy of worship, that God is humble and blesses humility, that God is Israel's defender and hope, that God is greater than any of our troubles, that God is our only source of real satisfaction and commitment. And today we're going to fill in the blank for the last time. And we're going to, I think that as you get this one today, maybe I don't know if I've saved the best for last, but it's one that I really believe that if you grasp it, it changes everything about your view of God and your relationship with God. Matter of fact, it's one that I think a lot of people really misunderstand, especially people who have been churched for a very long time. And so this isn't just for new people. This is for all of us. And so the God is for today is this. God is for you. I'm going to explain that. God is for you, meaning God is for you, that God's not against you, that God is on your side, that God wants the best for you. And remember, that his idea of best might not be your idea of best, but God wants the best for you, that God is always looking to help and to bless you in the best possible way. And he's the one who understands what the best possible way is. And what I found is this idea is foreign to some of us, that we think oftentimes just the opposite. We think God somehow, even though we say he loves us and we we say, oh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, but somehow we think God is against us, even that God could be mad at us. And he's just looking to, to mess with us if we mess up at all. That somehow he's looking to say, if you mess up at all, here I am to, to, uh, to come down on you. And, and here's what I've learned about life. We all mess up all the time. And if you live in that kind of a idea of God, um, it's not very pleasurable. Now, you say, well, no one thinks that way. That's not true. Just this week, I had a conversation. Interesting, I was already done, pretty much done preparing this message, and I had a conversation with a, with a person. Um, and this person, uh, just generically saying, so you can get an idea of what kind of person was saying this, this person's been a Christian for many years. Matter of fact, many more years than I've been a Christian. This person, if I decide to describe their personality, is loving and kind and helpful and always smiling and just seems to kind of be bubbling over with Jesus when you're around them. And this person, when you talk to them, they're always talking about the goodness of God. They're always talking about how God is wonderful and God is there and seem to talk about that to everybody. Doesn't seem where I've ever seen them in church, outside church. I've seen them talk openly, regularly, just about the goodness of God. But when we talked, they said that they saw God as judgmental, as harsh, and that he was just generally looking for a reason to bring pain into their lives. 
and I was just totally shocked by what I heard. And you said that sounded a little extreme, but we kind of sometimes have the same thought because the reality is when I talk to people, people express this kind of thought to me all the time. When they're going through difficulty, they express this, that somehow God is mean and he's doing these things to them. They don't believe that God is for them. What I want you to know today is that the Psalms paint a different picture than that. The psalmist reveals God as good and God as loving and God as forgiving, a God who is on our side and he always wants the best for us. This idea is spread throughout the entire book of Psalms. But for today, what I want to do is I just want to look at one verse from one psalm because it just expresses it so beautifully. So open your Bibles to Psalm 86, verse 5. And we're just going to look at one verse today to get the idea of where we're going. Psalm 86, verse 5. Give you a moment to get there. It ought to open right up to Psalms by now. Psalm 86, verse 5 says this, For you, Lord, are good, and you're ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Look at that description. This is the psalmist. It says a psalm of David. Describing the God that he knows, God is good. God is ready to forgive. God is abundant in in loving kindness. And he says all these things he is towards those to all he said of those who call upon him. Does it say he's that way to some of those who call upon him? Is that what it says there? No, it says he's that way to all who call upon him. That's a picture of a God who is for you, who wants the best for you, who is not out to get you. So what I want to do today is I want to break down this verse and show you how it shows how God is for you, what that means for God to be for you. So the first thing it says is this. It says God is what? God is good. You know, what's that mean? Does that mean that God does all his homework, he cleans his room when you tell him, and he eats all his vegetables at supper? You know, that's how we often decide, describe good. You know, they do what they're told. You know, so you clean your room. Your kid cleans their room. Or they, they do their homework. Or they eat their vegetables. You know, is, isn't that really how we describe good a lot of times? Well, that's not what it's talking about here. God being good is a description here of his nature. God is good, and there is no evil in him. It's what he is. He's good as opposed to him being evil. His nature is good. God is good, meaning he is pure and he is holy. And get this, this is the thing I want you to get today about this, that he is without selfishness that could cause him to abuse or misuse anyone. That's what good is. God is, he is so, his nature is good, so he's without a quality, a fallen quality of character that would be self-centered that it could ever cause him to act towards you in an abusive or a misusing kind of way. Because at his nature, he is good. For, uh, so from his nature of goodness, then he does good. Psalm 119.68 says this. It says, you are good and you do good. 
The second one, God. It says God is. You can say God is good and God does good out of his nature. The good things God does flow from his nature of goodness. And because that is his nature, only good can come from God, never evil. God doesn't wake up one day in heaven having, a, having had a bad night because it thundered too much. Or like me, his dog is now keeping him awake at night because the one he slept with for the last seven years moved to college. And now he decides to jump in bed with me. Um, and uh, God doesn't wake up crabby in the morning and say, you know what, I'm kind of in a bad mood. I'm kind of cross today. So I just think I'm going to make it miserable for some of those people at Portview Church. God doesn't do that. This is, and friends, this is so important for you to remember because bad things do happen to good people. They do. Bad things happen. And often the mistake people make is to attribute those bad things to God. So when something tragic happens, there's a loss in your life. There's a death, the death of a, of a spouse or the incredible tragedy, the death of a, of a child or the, the loss of a job. And this is what I hear Christian people say. And it's the heart that, talk, that of a person who spoke to me earlier in the week and says, God somehow ought to get me. They say, why did God do that to me? Why, what, what, or it's, it's an, it's an, and it's an act of God. No, it's not. God didn't do it. He is good and he does good. He does not do evil. Experiencing things that are not good are not the result of God's activity. They're a result of sin in a corrupted world. That's what the evil of this world, where it stems from. Those things that you experience that are not good, they are the result of sin in a corrupted world. God made the world perfect and good, but mankind chose to do what? Mankind chose to reject God's way and follow Satan's way. That's the story of the Garden of Eden. And God said, you know what, if they want to do that and they want to sin, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to die. And death and evil would reign on earth as a result. And it has and it does. Evil is Satan's influence in our world. It's not God's influence in our world. So the bad and the evil in life are not tied to God, just the opposite. They are tied to sin and the devil. God is good and he only does good toward you. That's who God is. That's God being for you. Now sometimes the way he does good towards you is in the form of discipline. And sometimes the way he does good for you is to say no when you say, please, God, I want, I want. And he goes, I'm going to do good to you if I give you that. That's not good for you. So we know this, God, in all of his infinite wisdom, he does good towards us in ways that are actually honestly good for us. And friends, that's God being for you. So God is for you because he is good. But Psalm 86 doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at saying that just God is good. It also says something, what's the next thing in the list? It says God is, look at, ready to forgive. It's so interesting the way he wrote there. He's ready to forgive. To forgive. And friends, this is all about God being for you. See, because there is the reality of, of sin and evil in the world, we all get caught up in it, don't we? If you think you're perfect and you're never going to have a problem or sin, it, let me tell you, you're just not, you're not right. We all get caught up in the sin of the world. And we know from Scripture that clinging on to that sin causes us 
to separate ourselves from God. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this, and they say sin causes a separation between us and God, that God separates himself. That's not true. God pursues us. What it does do, sin causes us to separate ourselves from God, that we go away from God. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden trying to hide from God after they chose to sin. What did they do? Did God hide from them? You sin, I'm going to reject you. No, God came looking for them. What do they do? They hid. Or it's like the story of the prodigal son, where the prodigal son keeps his distance from his father while he was living a life of rebellion. And the father stood waiting and watching for him until the prodigal son returned. And the prodigal son came back trying to make all kinds of excuses. And he says, quiet, we're going to have a party because my son was dead and now he's alive. See, sin causes us to separate ourselves from God because there's a reason. Because we feel the conviction of the presence of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because we know sin is wrong, so we run and we hide from God. And sometimes we don't even realize that's what we're doing, but that's exactly what we're doing. It's why the first thing people generally do when they're getting caught up in sinfulness, they're getting, they're getting off track a little bit, is they begin to avoid going to church. Because church, or they begin to avoid Christian people, because church and Christian people remind them of God. And they think if I stay away from church and Christian people, I won't feel the conviction. But you know what? Scripture said no matter where you go, you can go to the top of the mountain, the depths of the sea, the lowest depths, and God is there. Sin causes people to separate themselves from God. But understand this. But God is for us. And he wants the best for us. And the best for us is to be living under the loving protection and blessing and care of God. So you know what it says here in Psalm 86? So God is ready to forgive. He is always in a position to extend forgiveness to us when we ask so that the relationship between us and him can be healthy and restored when we decide it's time to come back. I want you to think about something. If you just going to wrestle with this, think about this. Whose idea was forgiveness? God's or ours? Who's God's? Who's the one who came up with the idea of forgiveness? God, it was God's idea to forgive humankind. Man didn't come up with a way to fix the broken relationship between humanity and God. God's the one who came up with the idea, and God's the one, it says, is ready to forgive. God so wants what's best for us that he made a way for us to receive forgiveness. It was God's plan to send his son, Jesus, to this earth to take our punishment upon himself for our sins so that when we put our faith and trust in him, we receive forgiveness of sins and are brought into a right relationship with God. That wasn't man's idea. That's God's idea. God is so much for us that he is ready right now and always to forgive you. And here's the thing you need to understand. No groveling necessary. No begging necessary. The prodigal son came back and wanted to grovel and beg. And the father said, no, I'm ready to forgive you. Just come on back. And what he says, like he says that the woman caught in adultery, he just says this. Now, I forgive you. I don't condemn you, but just go and sin no more. He does expect to change an attitude after, but he says, now just go and sin no more. Just an honest heart that says, God, I need you, and I want to be in a real and a healthy relationship with you, and I walk away from the junk just so I can be with you, God. In that honest heart, God loves to extend forgiveness. God loves to forgive. Think of that. 
He enjoys it. He loves to forgive. It was his idea in the first place. Man didn't come up with it. Now, that's God being for you, isn't it? That's God being for you. Now, let's look at the last way the psalmist says that God is for us. It says this. It says, he is abundant in loving kindness. That he's abundant in loving kindness. Matter of fact, if you read all of Psalm 86, you would see that it says this three times in this psalm. The says that he is, his loving kindness is abundant or it's great, meaning large towards us. And it's trying to make, the psalmist is trying to make a point here that this is something that is big for God, to God. His loving kindness is abundant. It's great. It's always available. It's without measure. That's God's loving kindness. Now, this word loving kindness is an interesting word. It's found about 125 times in the Psalms. And it comes from a Hebrew word that translators kind of have a hard time translating because it means more than just love. If you kind of read it and said, and God is loving, abundant love, that's not what it means here. He's not saying God is abundant just in love. It means something more like this. It means God is abundant in covenant love or in loyal love. That's the kind of love God is, God is abundant in. It's saying that God has an abundance of loyal love and favor towards his people. That God is in a covenant with his people. That if you are born again, you know Christ as your Savior, you have responded to God's calling you, and you ask Jesus into your life and receive forgiveness, then you are in a covenant or an agreement that God has made with you. That you are now his child, and he is now your father. And because of that covenant, God has a loyal love toward you. God's love is for God's love for you is long-suffering. It's loyal. He is determined to keep his promises towards you. And even in, in times when, when you live or act in ways that you should not, it doesn't diminish his love for you. His love for you does not change. It doesn't mean he won't discipline you. It doesn't mean he won't do something to get you back. He will. But his love never changes. Now, there's an amazing uh, Old Testament illustration of what this loyal love of God looks like. In fact, the entire situation is intended to reveal this amazingness of God's loving kindness. And it's a story of the life of the prophet Hosea. Has anybody ever read the book Hosea? Okay, I hope you all have. Matter of fact, if you haven't, sometime this week, read the well, 14 chapters of the book of Hosea and, and see what I'm talking about here because I'm just going to give you a brief overview of it. Hosea, we find out from reading the book of Hosea, was a prophet of God in Israel during a time when they were economically prosperous but spiritually compromised, kind of like America is right now. Seriously, it's why it applies so much to us. Economically doing great, spiritually doing bad. It says in the book that Israel was greatly involved in worshiping of false gods, and they were turning away from the one true God, from the God of of heaven, the creator. They were turning away from God. So God does something to reveal their error and to express his loving kindness. It's the whole reason he does what he does in his book. He tells the prophet Hosea to do something that people have tried to explain away. They try to say it's an allegory. It couldn't be God would never ask somebody to do this. But the Bible is the Bible, and it says this is what God did. It, it says that he tells Gomer, or tells the, the prophet Hosea, to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He says, go marry this lady who's a prostitute as a way of showing the Hebrew people that they were prostituting themselves 
by loving other gods. So he's saying, you be a representative of me and you go love a prostitute and show the nation that that's what it's like being married to you, Israel, God's marriage to Israel. He's saying, you're prostituting yourself with other gods. Then after they get, they get married, he finds her, they marry, they have three children, and then she runs away and she goes back into prostitution, leaving him heartbroken. He's trying to love her, brings her out of prostitution, and she goes back into her wayward ways, and God speaks to him again, and he says, now you go search for her, and you bring her back again as your wife. And he goes and searches for her, and he brings her back again as his wife. And he finds her as basically as a sex slave, and he buys her back and makes her his wife again. And the point that God was making, the whole reason, God was trying to make this huge illustration to Israel. He's trying to say, listen, you're erring, yes, but my, but my love towards you is loyal. I'm never going to reject you. The point he was making is that, that the, the kind of love God has for his people is this loyal covenant love. Even if they walk away, he pursues them and welcomes them back if they'll turn back to him. That's God's loving kindness. That's the kind of love God has towards the people that he's in a covenant with. That's the kind of loyal love God has for those who are in a relationship with him. He pursues the wayward, and he loves us even when we err. And that needs to give some hope for some of you, because some of you have family members who have come to the Lord, and they are wayward. God pursues the wayward in order to get them to come back. And God pursues us when we're wayward. And he calls us to repent and to return. Friends, that is God being for you. So God is for us, church. Psalm 86 says God's loving kindness and forgiveness and goodness are available to, what's it say in the beginning we said it? To all who call upon him. He makes himself available, but we need to call out to him and return to him. And that's the kind of way that God is for us. Now just maybe you're here today. Maybe somebody invited you to our picnic or you've been here for years. But maybe you're here today and you've been uncertain of God's love towards you. And because of that, you've never really invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior. This is what I know from God's word. You can call out to him today. You can surrender your life to his goodness and receive his forgiveness today because he's ready to forgive. He's sitting there in a position saying, I want to forgive. But also maybe you're here today and you do know the Lord as the Savior of your life, but you kind of feel that he's not for you. Today I want you to simply ask God to help you to embrace the truth of the word that we've gone over today that God is for you and he's proved it by showing that he wants to forgive you and that he's good and that his loving kindness is towards you and that it's in this covenant relationship with you, with you and he, he's, he's not angry with you. Instead, he's pursuing you. So I invite you this morning, if you'd stand with me. We're going to pray. And if you're here today, let's just look to the Lord. Let's just have a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You look to the Lord today. And you say, Pastor Mark, I'm one of those ones that if I'm really honest, I've asked Christ into my life, but I don't feel He's for me. 
I kind of have this idea, maybe you had a father figure in your life or an authority figure in your life, and that authority figure uh, was mean and overbearing and always looking to criticize you. Let me, under, let me assure you today, that's not the God of the Bible. God is for you. And right now, I want you to open up your hearts and allow the love of God to flood in and begin to heal you on the inside. Allow the love of God to begin to show you how great He is and how much He's for you today. Maybe you're here. You say, Pastor Mark, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. If that's you today, church, if that's you, friend, I want you to simply open up your heart to Jesus. And you ask Him, Lord, come into my life today. Come into my life today. I want to turn away from the old life that I've lived and I want you now to become Lord of my life. And so on this day, Lord, I give myself to you and I ask you, Jesus, receive me today. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Today, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Pray that prayer today, Lord. Friends, there's nothing special about the words. Ask the Lord into your heart. I promise you this. He will will welcome you into His family today. we love you today. And Lord, as we surrender our lives to you, we ask that Lord, as we would be gripped by your love, you would use us now to go love a world that's hard to love. Lord, that even today, and Lord, I don't even know if there are situations that are that are going to happen or could happen or not but even today as we bring together multiple churches for something that's fun if there would be anything in anybody's lives that would be ought towards a brother or a sister in Christ today as we join in unity today help us as we understand that we have been forgiven to now be people who freely extend forgiveness to other people And with this afternoon, Father, be an afternoon where you are glorified, where your church expresses the unity of the Spirit that you want the world to see. You said the world would know we are your your disciples by our love one for another. May this be a place today where love is expressed and people's lives are transformed because they they recognize how great you are. So, Lord, we pray that unity would flow, that love would be extended and grace would be extended, and that you would be glorified. So, Lord, we ask you, do what only you can do in this place today. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would go down deep and it would change us for your glory. God bless you, church.